Hello, horror fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen, and we welcome you to our weekly podcast. Ho, ho, ho. The horror. The horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at O-T-H at SeriouslyDecent.com. You can do that. Yep. You can also go to OhTheHorrorPodcast.com on the great worldwide interwebs. Yes. And check out our worldwide back catalog. Yes. Our bios. Yes. You can link up to your favorite podcasting platform. Turns out you can. There's many. Yeah. Many much mucho. I'd like to welcome the new uh, iHeartRadio fans. We, uh... We started a podcast about six, seven months ago and realized we didn't we, join yeah. iHeartRadio because we're on the ball here <laughs> at Oh the Horror. Dialing it in deep. Nothing but the best here, folks. Yeah. You will get nothing but the best. That was a, that was a great moment. Yeah. Oh, wait. We're not on, <laughs> we're not on iHeartRadio. Yeah. You know, that yeah. small, that small thing over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, and some people were listening, saw it. Welcome to the show. Buckle up. Yep. We'll, uh, you know what's nice about this episode? What's that? When it publishes, mm-hmm. we'll be 69 days till Halloween. <gasps> 69. Nice. Yeah. I'll just set the tone for this show. I mean, it will. Some freaky shit going on. Yeah. Are we going to have to pay royalties for that? <laughs> Probably. Probably, because you just did it without even inquiring. That's true. You know, abusive uh, trademark or copyright. Oh, China does it every day, so. I was going to say, does it also apply to those times when I randomly break out into song? In the car, no. I mean, on the podcast, because I yeah. do it here, too. We had a big dilemma today. We really did. I'm going to be honest, folks. We did? Yeah. What was our dilemma? There was a karaoke contest at the fair. There was. And we sat for a moment in the car, mm-hmm. driving home, saying, you know. On the way to said fair, like, we could have turned right and well, gone we to the fair. Well, we were heading to the fair. Or we could have turned left and yeah. gone home. It wasn't by design to go to the fair. No. We were doing something else. Mm-hmm. Went to Spirit of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Check that out. Mm-hmm. That's always mm-hmm. an exciting time mm-hmm. when, like, half the store is full. Because, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's starting. Yeah. Halloween's and, starting. And, All of the blank uh, shelves have coming soon. Coming soon. So we got that to look forward to. Yep. Went to Lowe's and there was all the uh, freight in on the floor and boxes still. Yeah. And they were five, six days behind on opening them, which was nice. Yeah. When this publishes, it'll be 69 days to Halloween. It's begun. It has begun. Mm Mm-hmm. So we're doing a uh, UFO abduction case today. We are. We are. We're at episode 36. Yes. And I have one source. It's the Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story with Calvin Parker with a foreword by Philip Mantle. Very good book. And for those that are checking in, we are doing the Pascagoula Abduction. Correct. As it's titled for the show. Yes. What's interesting about this case 
is that it really has the most evidence, and uh, it's one that no one really knows about. Yeah, I, I have to say, as this is one of the biggest stories in ufology, I had zero recollection of ever hearing this story. Not many, yeah. I'm well-versed in communion, the mm-hmm. movie Fire in the Sky, the yeah. Travis Walton abduction, yeah. Barney and Betty Hill, mm-hmm. even the the abductions off the Brooklyn Bridge yeah. and the Coronado. I, I always find it amazing that, because I'm, no I'm a UFO junkie with mm-hmm. this type of stuff, and, and I'm amazed that no one's ever heard of it, or they've lightly heard of it. It's funny um, because when you said you had ordered a book for the podcast yeah. and it came in, I had no idea. I, I was like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, here's like, the deal. I don't know what this is. <laughs> if you're going to cut your teeth on any abduction case, let's say you're a horror fan listening to the show and you're into the the vampire stuff, the werewolf stuff, demons, demonology, all that stuff we've done in the past. Yeah. But I really wanted to get into the UFO abduction specifically just for this case. I'd be fine if we never did another one. Right. I want to do other ones because right. it's yeah. a topic I enjoy talking about. However, this was the one that I wanted to do because if you're going to cut your teeth on any abduction case, this is the one I recommend. Mm-hmm. And the reason I do it is because... Or the reason I would recommend it is you could literally get by with two main sources of info. Mm -hmm. This book here that we dive dove deep into a lot. Right, Calvin's book. Calvin Calvin Parker's book, Pascagoula: Mm -hmm. The Closest Encounter, My Story, Calvin Parker, and the other person who was involved. Right. In the abduction, Charlie Charlie uh, Charles Hickson, and he wrote a book, UFO Contact at Pascagoula. Yes. Those two sources alone, you have a ton of information. Yes. Which, reader beware, Calvin Parker's book, it's not edited well. It's not proofread well. And, and if specifically. You're, yeah, if you're a grammar Nazi, you're going to have a hard time with the book, but you have to understand, out of the two, Charles and Calvin, mm-hmm. who got abducted, mm-hmm. Charles went his whole life promoting the abduction. He was did. a very outspoken mm-hmm. person about it. And Calvin went into his own life and yes. tried to get as far away from it as possible. Yes. Didn't do any public appearances, no. didn't do interviews. No. Didn't want to be involved with it at all. He and Charles just took to the role mm-hmm. as being the kind of spokesperson of the the incident, the right. event. Yes. Charles Hickson died. Yes. And that brought on Calvin to be a little more involved yes. in talking the story. And that's the source of his book. Right. So the whole point for Calvin in the book, it's literally titled My Story. It's his point of view yes. on all of this. He wanted to have a long standing record mm-hmm. of his story, mm-hmm. his evidence, the stuff mm-hmm. he could get. And it's really overwhelming at some points. He has uh, tape transcripts. He has hypnosis he transcripts. He does. He has tons of article clippings of the he's news who reported it. He's got the MUFON it. file. He's got mm-hmm. a copy of the MUFON file that they had yeah. on the Pascagoula incident, which had all of the newspaper clippings. Everything. Um, it there's And he includes 
He has police reports. Yeah. He has the transcripts. Yep. He's he got has, he has everything. A, the full written transcript of the secret tape, which we'll dive We're into that get into later. All of this. But yeah. but it's a very, very good book if you're looking for a nice if you only had to get one book, I would yes. actually recommend his because it's just very complete. Yes. With because he does have the excerpt from Charlie's book yep. with Charlie's accounts. Mm-hmm. So you essentially You're getting both. You read through uh he actually he, Kelvin, in the book does uh Charlie's story or Charlie's version first, and then he does his. So you essentially are reading them side by side. Yeah. And so it's good for comparison. Like purposes. I said, for yeah. completeness, you really can't beat like if you only had to get one book. Yeah. I would get Calvin Parker's book. Mm-hmm. But again, like I said, reader beware the the grammar, the proofreading, it's it's tough at times. But he yeah, wanted he to didn't do it finish high school. Well, so. no, but the fact is is he wanted to do it in his own words. Yes. And his he, whole statement yep. is he didn't want to die and have the press say or anyone else yeah. say what he went through. Mm-hmm. He didn't want the press or media or anybody. Yes. And that's straight from his his mouth you know he didn't want anyone else telling the story but him because it's his story well it's his and charlie's his stories my stories (laughs) nobody gets that reference all right joe uh detective uh detective joe kenda joe kenda that's uh yes which if you haven't watched those shows you're missing out homicide hunter but it's an interesting abduction because if you actually google pascagoula mississippi Mm mm-hmm this won't even appear on the first page of results. Hmm. It's all about everything with Pascagoula. And I'll take your word for it. It's an area known for, uh, I forget the name of the company, but uh, it's a big shipyard. They, uh, that's basically the main stuff. I think Rolls-Royce had a factory there at some point. I don't know if don't they know. still do. Uh, it's small Mississippi town. Yep. So I, let's dive into this. Yeah, go for so it. So let's buckle up as we head to Mississippi. Yeah. Circa 1973. Two men. The first is Charles Charlie Hickson, Charlie E. Hickson, mm-hmm. senior, born 1931. I was not able to find his exact birth date. Yeah, that's fine. He died September 9th, 2011. He was 42 at the time of the abduction incident. Mm-hmm. Kelvin Parker was born November 2nd, 1954, and he was 19 at the time of the incident. He's still alive. Yeah. Or at least he was as of 2018 when I the think book he's, was written. I think he still is. So, Charlie and Calvin's dad had been very good friends. Mm -hmm. Charlie, his eldest son, and Calvin and his dad would frequently go fishing when Calvin was a young boy. In 1973, Calvin was job hopping and engaged to be married. The wedding was set for November 9th, 1973. Charlie had been working for a company that built doors, but when they shut their doors, he found work at a shipyard in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Kelvin was welding in a machine shop where he had learned to read blueprints. He quit that company to work for a company that worked on oil field equipment that offered more money and ultimately set him up so that he could work in this shipyard. During this time, Charlie would come down and fish on the weekends with Kelvin, his dad, and brother. This is when Charlie and Kelvin built a friendship. Charlie would tell stories about his time in North Korea while serving in the Army. Calvin's job had him on 24-hour call, and with his engagement, 
he no longer wanted to be on call. Cue new job. Charlie said he could get him a job at the shipyard where he worked, F.B. Walker's, as a ship fitter, and he could rent Kelvin a room for $50 a week until he found a place of his own. Kelvin would travel back home on the weekends to see his family and spend time with his fiance. Yeah. So Thursday, October 11th, 1973, at 5 o'clock p.m., both men had finished work. They went home, ate dinner, and they left from Charlie's apartment building at about 5.45 with frozen shrimp to go fishing. Their end fishing spot would be near where they unloaded grain from the ships that would sometimes um, spill into the water and then the fish would eat it. Mm -hmm. Their first spot was at the old uh, Shaupeter shipyard. They parked about 100 yards from where they were going to fish. To the left was a high-rise toll bridge that was part of Highway 90, and the highway was 300 yards from where they were fishing. There was an old steel pier that was in very poor shape. Kelvin commented, like, he wasn't even sure they should actually, like, be on it. Yeah. And then he was like, yeah, no, it's going to be fine. And he also said that they were on the East River. Apparently, there's an east and a west. And previously, someone quoting his story had said they were on the West River. And he was like, nah, man, mm-hmm. what? we weren't. We were on the East River. Neither had a watch, but had, they guesstimated that they arrived at the fishing spot around 6. Well, and that's where people got to also look in the context. In 1973, it was common, you know, you wouldn't walk around. Like, people didn't have the obsession with time like people do today. No. Like, you didn't have time yeah. all around you. You yeah. could go a whole day he mentions with literally not knowing the time there's no cell phone there's there's no internet like there's none of this Mm -hmm. and we're definitely giving a high level you know overview of this story in the book he gets right into the weeds of like like, what his day was like at work yep yep. and what he thought of his new job and things Mm -hmm. like that it's it's really really good so Kelvin wanted to head to where the green elevator elevator was because they weren't having much luck. They caught a fish, and I don't remember now what it was, but, like, nobody eats it. Yeah, no. They, it's a type of, like, They were fish. actually having a bad night of fishing. They really were. And this was supposed to be the spot where Charles Hickson was like, look, this is where I get a ton of fish and all that yeah. stuff. And that's a comical part of this whole story is these guys are struggling and he's talking about they almost had to like bushwhack down to where they were to go fishing yeah. and you know calvin's like we're not catching shit let's just go up so, to where the so, green elevator so basically is. what they did is they parked their vehicle and yeah. they went a long distance out to start fishing mm-hmm. and their goal was to fish all the way back to the car yes so where you're talking about now is where is, they're the furthest distance away from the car. Yeah, they're by that Highway 90 yeah. bridge. And and then they began to reel back towards right. the car. So Charlie said they should give it a few more minutes. At this point, Kelvin turns around and sees blue lights mm-hmm. in the area where they had uh, parked his brand new car. There were no trespassing signs. So he states several times that he was sure the lights were from a police car and they were about to either get a ticket or he was going to go to jail. And that he kept was the saying, first impression. Yeah, He kept saying to Charlie, yo, if I end up in jail, <laughs> you're you're paying for my bail. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, like I said, it starts out as like a, just a terrible time fishing. So yeah. Charlie turned and he also saw the lights, but instead of police, they saw an oval shaped craft about eight feet high, fairly long, roughly the shape of a football, hovering two feet from the ground. They said it was about 30 to 40 feet across. It's it was big, it's big, big craft. The lights were um, hazy blue, but bright. And then they noticed they kept saying it was a door, but it didn't swing like a door. It no, didn't swing it didn't up open. or down. It just kind of opened. Yeah. So essentially, it's just an, a rectangular opening. They said they didn't really see any signs of hinges or anything right. like that. And the craft became quite brightly lit. Charlie went pale and. Kelvin kept saying he was trying to formulate some sort of exit strategy. And just as he was trying to come up with, you know, I can't jump in the water because I can't swim. Mm -hmm. You know, at one point he mentions he wants to get back to the car because he's got a gun in the car. But he's he's just like paralyzed in fear. And that's when three beings exit the craft and they were upon them. Rather quickly. Yeah, everything happened fast. That's yes. both of their accounts. Yeah. And um, uh, and just so we can, we'll, we'll start now with this declaration. Mm -hmm. The consistency of both these men's stories is insane. It Insanely really is. consistent. I went so, so far as to do, I did a side-by-side -side yeah. with, this is what Calvin said. This is what Charlie said. Mm -hmm. They're freaking identical. There's it's pretty like close. One or two things that are that are off, or Charlie mentioned something, but Kelvin didn't. Yeah. But I mean, it's essentially yeah the same. So so that's I wanted to let the listeners know this because we're going to go through and tell the story. Right. But there wasn't really kind of dual versions of the story. A little bit. A yeah, little bit here yeah. and there. But it wasn't anything that you look no. and go, oh, it's so fake. No. You know? No. And Like I said. And so basically, like, they both explained the door the same way mm -hmm. that it just opened. Mm -hmm. uh, they also explained that they did have the idea of trying to leave and escape. But that they but it couldn't. Just, A, they couldn't. Mm -hmm. And at that point, they really didn't know whether it was just they were in shock Yes. Or there was some sort of influence or power from the craft. Correct. They didn't know at that point because it was all yep. happening so fast, yeah. which is realistic. And then as the beings approached out, yes. three of them, they said they were on them so quickly. Two was on Charles Hickson. Yep. One was on Calvin Parker. Yep. And they then knew at that point that they had no control. Right. Because in their mind, they wanted to leave. In mm -hmm. their mind, they tried to yeah, evade. Yeah, they wanted to, but, but they, couldn't. they couldn't physically. And, and the beings, uh, So go ahead. The beings were themselves about five feet tall, but they too hovered about two feet off the ground. Two of mm -hmm. the beings, as you said, grabbed Charlie. The other grabbed Kelvin's uh, left arm, which ultimately left a puncture mark. And yeah, they heard, had uh, pinchers. Uh, the, yeah, the beings. Yep. We'll get into that. He heard what sounded like a shot of air and he relaxed. Yep. He said he was floated into the craft and he did not see Charlie again until they were removed from the craft. Those were the two noises that they heard the whole entire time. Everything was silent, but the craft did make a, uh, they a say, zip. like a zip noise. Yep. Uh, not the entire time, but just no. a, a brief moment. Upon appearance, appearance and, and disappearance. And exiting. Yep. And the the rush of air when they were near them. Yes. 
And they both claim that that rush of air, it just basically paralyzed them. Like their mind, yep. they could see what was going on, but they couldn't move their heads. They couldn't yes. move their bodies, nothing. But they were conscious, both of them, at that point. Yes. Now it's here where we kind of have to make a bridge because Calvin has some recollection of things, but other things he doesn't. Right. Charles Hickson has a, basically, from point A to point B of the whole entire incident, he has an entire recollection of the whole process of what took place. Yes. So, this is where I have the comparison. Mm -hmm. Calvin said it was an oblong craft. Charlie Mm -hmm. said it was an oblong craft. Yep. Calvin, three beings. Charlie, three beings. Calvin, about five feet tall. Charlie, about five feet tall. Yeah. Calvin, no eyes. Charlie, no eyes. Couldn't really tell, but he didn't see what would be considered eyes. Yeah, no direct distinguishing features. A protrusion in the middle of the face, like where the nose would be. Same exact thing for Charlie. A Mm -hmm. protrusion in the middle of the face where a nose would be, but it was not a human nose. And then something as well, like with ears. There's also protrusion on the side of the head where ears would be, but they were not ears. No. Same thing for Charlie. Per the protrusion, it was like the a same. Thing it was out. the same protrusion as the as one in the front. thing in the in yeah. the nose. Yep, Calvin pincher like hands, like mm-hmm. a lobster claw. Charlie said it was a mitten like hand. Yeah, where it had like a thumb, but they they were the whole point was they didn't have fingers. They just mm-hmm. had like this. And this also, two, I hate two to pieces. get ahead a little bit, but this is the reason why there's these differences is they were questioned separately. They were. And that's where they get these differences from. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that further, but just to clarify it now. They had no toes, but they had, it couldn't necessarily be considered a human foot. It was like a round, like, appendage. They both said it looked like a round style, like, elephant's foot. Yes, that was consistent yep. with both of them. Uh, Calvin said they were gray. Charlie said they were light in color, not white, but mm-hmm. not translucent. They both said the skin was wrinkled, yeah, but that it was very like tight to the body. Mm-hmm. So, but they said it didn't look like real. Yeah, they said they, it, like, they it, kept it, saying they were focusing on clothes, and they were yeah. like, they didn't have clothes. They had like this wrinkly thing, but it was like super tight. But and... they also were open to the idea that it could have been like a suit. Yes, and that yes. the real thing was underneath what they were seeing. Correct. They both agreed on that. Yes. Calvin said there was a blue light. So did Charlie. Mm-hmm. The next item, Calvin didn't say anything, but Charlie was saying that there was like something on top of the craft. And, you yeah, know, like, like a, a dome. dome or something, but he couldn't put it into words. Yeah. Which we'll, Calvin said they, we'll talk about that later yeah. towards the end. Uh, Calvin said they did communicate with him telepathically. Mm-hmm. And Charlie said no words were spoken. Well, even Calvin's thing of telepathically, it wasn't a full-fledged conversation. No. It was uh, like, you are safe. Yeah, like very, very short, yeah. abrupt statements and, yeah. and not much clarity yeah when like he, they're going dude chill when he's writing the account yeah and stuff like that yep. now the fun uh calvin was about he said like a 45 degree angle upright in an incline yeah on an incline mm-hmm. but he did he was in a, a room mm-hmm. 
it looked lit, but they couldn't see really the source of light. Right. It was just a, a lit well. room. Yep. And basically couldn't move, mm-hmm. couldn't turn, yep. couldn't speak, yep. nothing. So they both said they had a slit, uh, slit slash pouch where the mouth would be. Aboard the ship, Kelvin kept saying that he passed out and he had no recollection. Uh, Charlie said aboard the ship, it was bright, but he could see no light fixtures or bulbs. It was as if the light glowed from the inside. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said they were observed. Charlie said he was scanned by something that he kept calling an eye. And it went all the way around. And Calvin said and something. Over. It was like the size. It was a blue thing, the size of like a hockey puck, but it was like a square. Yeah, uh, a square or a rectangle, and it would right. just move and and scan over him. Yep. Um, we can't really say at this point Calvin passed out. We can't say that yet. In cohesiveness with the story here, he. You know. But this is based on what he said. He. We don't find out that he actually had any sort of no, true he's, recollection. He says it right in the beginning, everything he later. saw. He said, I'm just going to clarify that. He says right in the beginning, everything he saw and everything that he witnessed there. Mm-hmm. He does, there's some points of things that are a little spotty for him. Mm-hmm. But when it gets to the police station, when we get to that part of it, it'll clarify all of that. What else do you have as far as the actual incident? That they didn't claim to feel anything at the time. Mm-hmm. Both were scared, but Calvin kept saying he was terrified. Yeah. They were dropped in exactly the same spot, essentially, Mm -hmm. where they were taken. Uh, Charlie was dropped first. Calvin was placed facing the river, and he was unable to lower his arms, and he could not respond to Charlie's cries of, quote, Calvin, Calvin, are you okay? Yeah. They heard the zipping noise, at which point the craft rose straight up, and it was gone. Yeah. Kelvin was still standing unmoving with his arms out to the side, and when he finally started to come out of this momentary paralysis, he was extremely weak. Charlie suggested that they sit and rest for a bit. Kelvin told Charlie, quote, let us not dare tell anyone about this. So that's this is where I'd like to just hop quick mm-hmm. into the timeline or maybe run with it a, a little bit. But at this point, they both say that they weren't going to tell anybody. And I honestly believe that side of the bit because, I mean, who the hell is going to believe any of this? They're just going to say you're bonkers. Two hits. Today, let alone in the 70s, the early 70s. People just wouldn't buy Mm -mm. this type of thing. I'm not even getting into the Hicks thing. I'm saving that for the end. But but the fact is, is they they agreed on this this plan that they weren't going to tell anybody. So they basically were getting their shit together there out on the pier. Yeah. And they were near the car. They approached the car. Mm-hmm. The car had some glass damage. Yeah, I've got that too. And, you know, they were observing that. Not that it was broken. No. But just shattered. It, the, they gathered their fishing equipment. They took it back to the car. The passenger side window was shattered, but it was still in place. However, when Charlie opened the door, the glass fell out. And because this was a new car, like, Kelvin was, he was pissed about the window and then he had a hard time getting the car to start to get yeah, it to like so the turn car, over. The car had a real issue starting. Yeah. There were some electronic type things, yeah. even as cars in the seventies 
right. basically what people have to understand in the early 70s with cars that weren't from that era. Yes. The electronics were basically involved in a couple of areas. Number one, starting the car. Mm-hmm. That was the mo like the prime reason of having the electronics in a car. Right. Was just to make it start. And then you had basically things like radio, maybe dash lights and mm-hmm. things like that. But yeah. even a dash light, like what people have to see is like it wasn't the whole entire dash. There were mechanical dashes. Yeah. And like a light would literally be like a little light bulb just shining light on a mechanical dash. Yeah. So, yeah, problems starting. So that showed some electronic interference and things After like that. After several attempts, it did start, yeah. but it sounded really oh, terrible. rough. Yeah. yeah. And, th- and that would be electronic issue. So the whole plan was to leave, go back home, yep. and and basically just call it a night and go back they to work get on and it. go back to work the next day. He said that Charlie pulled out a bottle of Jim Beam from somewhere. No, he went to his store to get it. He said, I need something to drink. Okay. And they went to a store. And another reason to go to the store is they wanted to see a clock. Again, with no time with watches. Right. Charlie wanted to go to the store to see a clock and see what time it was to mm-hmm. just kind of figure out what, what the hell just yeah. happened. You know, was this 10 minutes? Was it 15 minutes? Was it two hours? Was it the next day? And he got the scotch. The uh, Jim Beam. The Jim Beam or yep. whatever it was. I think it was Glenn Fittiture. I don't know. Something like that. And he got that there. Mm-hmm. Drank a bit of it. Yep. Not a ton. No, just so, enough, he said, to settle his nerves. Yeah. So they were heading, they were going to head out and go home. And that's when. And on the way. The that's split when, between the two that's occurred. When Charlie said they, they should. They need to they tell need somebody. They need to tell someone. And Calvin said, hell no. Calvin didn't want any part of it. And this is an important twist of how these guys are going to approach the rest of their lives with this whole yes. thing. This is the, this literally is the split. So at first there was an air force base near there and yeah. Uh, what was the name of that air force but the, base? It's Keesler. Yeah. But the first thing they did was uh, Charlie had Kelvin pull up to the Mississippi press building. He told him that he wanted to go in and see if they had a clock to find out yeah. what time it was. He was in there for a couple minutes. And when he came out, when Kelvin asked him what the time was, he said they didn't have a clock in there and that he didn't know. Oh, then they went to the local hangout, the T1K, and ordered a beer. And then while Kelvin was drinking his beer is when Charlie said that he was going to call and tell someone what had happened. Kelvin again asked him not to, but he said he was going to call Keesler Air Force Base, yes. which he did. And he gave them a breakdown of what had just happened to both of them. And they told him that they weren't in the UFO business and that Project Blue Book was closed and that they should report their story to the local they authorities. They weren't in the UFO business anymore. Yeah. This is the important parts yeah. of the story. Like the earlier stuff I just wanted to breeze past because this is when they actually contacted somebody. They did. About the story. Mm-hmm. And they said, the woman who answered the yep. phone, we are not doing this anymore. anymore. Yeah. This is and very they, important if you're new to this topic mm-hmm. and new to this. That meant that they used to deal with this. They did. Before. And they had a process with it, which yeah. is Project, Project Blue, Blue Book. Blue Book. Mm-hmm. They had a whole thing with it. Yeah. Then she recommended that they call the sheriff's station. So Charlie did call the sheriffs. They told him to, you know, he gave them a brief synopsis and they told him to stay where they were and that someone would be there in a few minutes. And about 10 minutes later, the sheriffs arrived. 
They took a quick look around the car, talked to Charlie, and told them to follow them to the sheriff's office, which they did. Then at the station, they were separated and each were questioned individually. Mm -hmm. Then afterward, both men were placed in an office together, and this office was the... The um, so this is where they the, you're the gonna hear tape. you're gonna hear about the secret tape. Yeah, there and was basically a... what it was was they were under question in the police station for about forty five minutes yes. to an hour. Yes, and they were separate. And in Calvin's book, he has all the copies of the statements. Correct. That the police, re- you know, the yes. police filed reports for. Yes. So the police, just to kind of you know, because you don't really have that situation happen all the time, but they. It wasn't a practice that they did just with them. They would no. do it yeah, no, for other things. Yeah, no, they had this wired so, room specifically to put people yeah. in to try and, and we're like, gonna clarify, incriminate themselves. We're going to clarify what a wired room is. It's a tape recorder in a drawer yeah. in a room, a waiting room that they're hanging out in. Essentially, yeah. So here's the thing. On YouTube, you can actually search for Pascagoula secret tape, secret tape and there's actually an enhanced one. Mm-hmm. I'll share the link on the Facebook uh, group. And basically, it's a tough tape. I messed around with trying to filter it out. I did a pretty good job of it. But this one link that I'll share, they had the whole transcript right. and everything. Yes. And Calvin's book, they have the transcript as well. They do. Uh, They've got a couple, actually. Yeah, but the secret tape is the most revealing part of this whole story. It was, the sheriff said after listening to this secret tape, they believed yeah, them Yeah, but basically what the point was is they were going to leave them in this room and see how they acted. Yeah, to see what they and did. And what they did is they recorded about three to six minutes of actual coverage yeah. of them talking back and forth. And it really is the sound of two honest men having a really just frank discussion about what, of what the hell happened. just happened. Yeah. Because you can tell right there that if, man, if they were faking this, they were doing an amazingly good job of it. Yeah. They were freaking out. They were, uh, Calvin openly freaking out just what the yeah. hell, you know, yeah. what the hell just happened. They basically recited the event. Like if it was an yep. event and you were hanging out with your buddy, they recited the event there yep, they did. on what happened and their own thing of what they saw, what yes. they heard. Yep. Now this goes back to the passing out part of Calvin. Mm-hmm. The story was that Calvin didn't really pass out. Right. He had some fleeting moments of kind of gray areas yes. of, of what was going on because he was overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And he openly says, I was insanely overwhelmed. I was yes. scared shitless. I was terrified. I was yeah. terrified. And they made a deal and they being Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker. Yes. Charles said, look, just say you passed out. Because yep. Calvin's like, I don't want to talk about this. I don't yeah. want to do any of yep. it. And and Charles says, just this isn't on the secret tape. No. But this is a confession this that Calvin that had. They, that they had later. That they made a discuss. They this discussed is- a, among themselves. And they said, you know, uh, Calvin's like, I can't deal with this. So Charlie said, just say you passed out. I'll take care That's of That's a the confession rest. in yes. Calvin Parker's book. Yes. And Calvin comes right out in writing yep. and says, I elected the choice to p- just say I passed out because I, d- I, at that time, he knew that the press was going to be in it. Oh, yeah. That the media was yep. going to be in it. Neither one of them had any idea to what extent. But, no. But Calvin didn't really want that part of it going on. So the secret tape part is very revealing. Yeah. It's very revealing. 
And then at the end of the tape, Charles would wraps it up. Charles says, look, we got to get, why are we still waiting in yeah, here? We got to get out of we here. We got to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Get back home. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And they, you got to laugh at their honesty. They had to go to work the next day. Yeah. What people have to understand is these were hard working paycheck to paycheck people. Yes. And, and I'm going to say it for lack of a better term, but it's a true term. They were just simple people. Yes. I'm not saying dumb. No. I'm not saying idiotic or anything like no. that, but just simple people that are working day to day, check to check, yes. like everyone else out in the world. Yeah. And they had this crazy thing, but they all knew they had to go back to work the next day and, and get going. Yeah. So, so they left the police station in great faith that it wasn't going to be released anywhere. Well, the, the sheriff told them that they, they, they didn't want to have that kind of yeah, PR. So no. they weren't going so, to say anything. So they, they told, you know, they assured Charles and, and Calvin that it wasn't going to be told out, that it wasn't going to leave there. Yeah, and Calvin and, did ask if he could get a copy of a report because he was hoping he could use that to get insurance money for his broken window. No, no, and exactly. Told, and like I said, and it's, these, no. it's yeah. these little pieces of the puzzle that you start reading in Calvin's book Yes, that just have this massive honesty written around it. Yes. Down to just those little requests. So they go home, yep. and home being at Charles' place because... Calvin's Charlie's still apartment. out of yeah. town and working. So, yep. so they go there, they go to sleep. Yes. Try to sleep. Calvin talks about how he was just up all night. Yeah, couldn't get any rest. Get any sleep. Um, so the next day at work, they show up and they're immediately told to go to the supervisor's office. Yes. And they go there and the press has already showed up. And basically what happened was, is the story leaked out of the sheriff's office Somehow. Yeah. And and the sheriff, Fred Diamond, said, well, Charlie called him because he was sure that it was the sheriff that hadn't kept his word and that he had leaked it. And at which point the sheriff said that he hadn't. He had no idea who had leaked the information from the office, but that their phones were ringing off the hook, too. So the phones are ringing off the hook at the shipyard. They're ringing off the hook at the sheriff's department. And the sheriff asked them you know, mm-hmm. to And the to reason it leaked is because it's a small town. Yeah. Anybody that lives in a small um, town knows how the shit works. So while know. they're in the manager's office, you know, they had to explain why all of a sudden all of these people are calling from all over everywhere to mm-hmm. talk to these two guys. Yeah. And they tell the, the manager the story and the owner suggested that they retain an attorney and they called the shipyard's attorney, Joe Kalinga. And both men went to the sheriff's office with Joe The attorney, Joe, asked the sheriff if the men could take a lie detector test. Mm -hmm. The sheriff said they didn't have the equipment and he didn't feel that the test was necessary based on the tape from the the And the only place that could give a lie detector test at this point was the Air Force Base. Uh, I think. No, it was a college or, or yeah, it like was some a other place. I think it was like Biloxi, and they but, said they didn't want any of yeah, the press associated but, with but that. But at this point, Calvin had a large worry and a large issue with they needed to get tested for radiation and they, things like they that. They could be contaminated. He, so they got to a point where they were going to, you know, they asked for that, and that brought in the Air Force Base. Well, they went to the, the hospital first. Because they wanted the hospital to do the radiation but testing, they and they said that they couldn't. But they did test them for like bacterial, yeah, just common stuff. stuff but like the that. deep testing and that they were after was the Air Force. The base. Um, the sheriff that had taken them there called the Air Force base, 
and they went there. And upon arrival, they were met by a hazmat team who tested the men and finally gave the all clear. After that all clear was given, they were taken into the base and again related their story to what was called base intelligence. Essentially, it was five men in a room. And Kelvin said it seemed that they too believed the story and they thought it was genuine, but Washington had no interest in UFOs anymore. None. And so they were kind of left to their own devices. The shipyard gave the men a couple of weeks off. Um, well, also, that's because they went back to work and they were trying to work. Trying and the problem work, was, and they're like, the, you can't. The employees were asking a ton of questions. The press was following them all yeah, over the, the place. The phones are still ringing. Yeah. So, so they, they gave them a check and a couple of weeks off because they didn't want them to come back. Well, the problem was, is the company couldn't function. Right. That was the, the big problem with it. So with the company not being able to function, they gave them two weeks off. Yep. And they went out. So at this point, this is where, yeah, like in Calvin's book, he's got all the articles of the newspapers yeah. and stuff. And in short, what took place here, because we're at 42 minutes. Okay. At short, what took place here is Calvin disappeared. He, yeah, he went For, MIA. He went MIA. Uh, after the Griffiths thing, or Griffith, I always want to say Griffiths because it's over here, but at the air base where they did the testing, yeah. they did all of the yep. radiation type stuff and all that. Mm -hmm. And they also, at that point, the significant thing that happened is they connected with- Dr. James uh, Harder and Jay Allen Hyde. And Jay, yeah. And and they were part of a UFO uh, like research group. I believe Hynek was actually part of Project, Project Blue Book when it was active. Yeah. So yeah. he was still very much carrying on his investigations, just not under the umbrella of Blue Book. No, but it was under this yeah. UFO group. Yeah. And, and basically they flew out there to, to them. see them. Yep. That's where the hypnosis yes. took place. Yep. And they uh, put Charles Hickson under hypnosis. They put Calvin Parker under hypnosis. Yes. The hypnosis did not really work well for Calvin. He was no. freaking out the whole time. Yeah, it was way and, too traumatizing for him. And so a lot of the, uh, there wasn't much of a transcript for right. no. Calvin Parker's hypnosis. No. Charles Hickson did really well with the hypnosis. He did. And they said that actually he was, because under hypnosis you, uh, you and either... hypnosis is questionable. Yeah. I'm going to state the record for that here. I'm not, because I know there's skeptics out there and I'm one of them. And hypnosis is a great type tool. Everybody wants to take hypnosis for face value and what it creates. But in short, the thing is, is nobody knows what's going on upstairs in the head. No, no one does. No. And hypnosis can be dangerous in that way. Yes. Now, what was interesting with Charles was, and they noted this uh, in Calvin's book, was his session with hypnosis. There's two types of roles. If you're pulling back in a historic event that happened to you in your life, mm -hmm. there's one where you're the observer. Right. And you're looking at everything as you're it's a period. You're watching it like a movie. Yeah, you're watching it like a movie and mm -hmm. it's a period of time in front of you. And you can you know, stop it and you can examine it and you yep. can jump ahead. Mm -hmm. You can go all over the place. Charles had the other method, which was actually, he was in, he was reliving. It. He was reliving yes. it. So when they were going through the story or the, the whole, the whole day, they literally had to go through the whole day with him. Yeah. And they were talking about how, when he was, uh, you know, heading to work, uh, he was thinking about dinner and the stuff with his wife, like, yeah. uh, that type of hypnosis, it, it does get, deep on that level where mm -hmm. 
they had to wait for him to go through all of these like emotions and feelings yeah, and talking about and processes how his guys and were late how his guys were late coming back from, from lunch, work yeah. and they had to muddle through all of that to get to the, event. the actual event and then the event it was nice in that regard because it was a perfect timeline yes. of things that went through and it did show that it did corroborate with calvin parker's story yes so but that it was, also matched what they had said to the police. So yeah. like there was no deviation between yeah. the two. So to rewind real quick, because this is pretty much after the hypnosis and stuff like mm-hmm. that, Charles Hickson cranks out a book. He's going out and doing, you know, uh, public events and things like that. He yeah. goes down that road. Calvin goes outside of Pascagoula yes. in that area and just basically tries to live the most normal life yeah. he can possibly he live. He went back home. At one point, he was um, hospitalized for a bit because mm-hmm. the it was proving to be too traumatic to deal with. Charlie went on a, a massive interview campaign and appeared to not turn down any interview. He did ask Calvin to accompany him to the Michael Douglas show in Chicago, which he did. Yeah. And that was the last time that, was the that only they time were, that were together talking about the And it was the actually the last time they talked about it. Yeah. Um, then the two men fell out of touch. Calvin and um, his fiance Waynette, married, divorced, and married again. Waynette thought it would be good for Calvin. She was actually the catalyst behind him doing the book. She mm-hmm. kept telling him that she thought it would be good for him to talk about the incident, to try to come to some sort of peace. Yeah. Um. And then Kelvin had another incident of lost time, and it was in the 90s. Again, he went out fishing. He ultimately ended up living not far from where they were originally abducted yeah. on yeah. the Pascagoula River. He went out fishing. He was gonna. It was in the afternoon. He was only going to be there for a couple hours, and he only brought enough food, like he brought a sandwich and four bottles of water mm-hmm. for the couple hours that he was going to be out there. But when... He said he woke up, and when he woke up, it was it was dark, like around 11 o'clock. And there was a note on his truck from Wynette, like, you know, I'm worried. What's mm-hmm. going on? Where are you? He then spoke with a friend and investigator, and he was explaining how he had this lost time. And this friend suggested that he come to a UFO conference and speak with uh, Bud Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And he did. They went to Florida, and he did end up speaking with Bud Hopkins. They did do a hypnotic session, and the transcript from the tape is in the book. And they did determine that he had again been taken aboard a craft with an entity that was not entirely foreign to him. So Bud passed, and Kelvin is trying to get a hold of this taped hypnotic session because he wanted to hear it just to see what, what he said. So this was a much more detailed account of the 1973 abduction. So he's listening, and during the course of the session, while aboard the ship, he was disrobed. He is cut in his hand. He bleeds a bit, and he states that they implanted something in his hand, and Mm -hmm. he could point to Bud exactly where it was. And he said a female entity entered, and Kelvin not only hates her, he claims that this entity, this female, is pure evil. He remembers her. She's familiar to him. He had been seeing her since he was a child, and she's mad that he was not alone as she wanted to kill him. 
is what he said. Yeah. And he's trying desperately to get out of the arm and leg restraints. And he just keeps thinking, if I can get out, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to take care of her. And he does at one point get out of the arm restraints and he does get his hands on the female entity. And he, his intention is he wants to kill her. And my, but my whole thing, I mean, I hate to cut you off on this, but this is where we go back to one person's story. It's later. It's under hypnosis after a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great that we're bringing it up and talking about it. But again, like to serve the skeptics of the audience, including me. Yeah. This is where I start to hop off the train a bit. Yes. I really do. Yes. And honestly, it's not necessary in his regard. I get he's telling his story. Yes. I get he's telling. But this is where I look and it's like, you have the perfect story back here yeah. in 1973. Yeah. Everything's corroborative. Everything. Because now what he's saying is, is he went back and he could move and he could do all that stuff. Yes. When Charles was like, no, I couldn't move at all. Yes. And Calvin said at that time, I couldn't move at all. Yeah. That was his statement. Yes. So now time f- passes forward. And we're not talking like a couple years with this session here. It's a long time later. Yes, it is. And and a lot can happen the way you look at something that happens. Yes, the mind does play tricks. Oh, it on plays you. tricks on you in a, in a short sense. Yes. There's that, uh, I forget, it's a type of thing where, um, oh, it's a condition that anybody can have. But I was listening to Dr. Drew talking about it at one point, and it's like historical something. And basically, you can actually look back at a point in time and you can actually convince yourself that you were at something that just didn't even take place. Right. Didn't even, and just convince yourself that it happened. Mm -hmm. It's possible. Yes. It happens all the time. Yeah. He's Uh, essentially stating that at one point, he does go after this entity. He is again restrained, mm-hmm. but because he did strike out at her, yeah, she inflicts this great amount of pain on him. And he claims that everything went black and he swears he was heading toward the light and he felt like he was going to heaven. And then all of a sudden he was pulled back into his body and he kept saying that he didn't want to stay, that he wanted to go. Yeah. And when he was in his body again, he was taken out of the craft and placed back by the river. Yeah. And he claimed in his 90s fishing mistime occurrence that during that session, he said he was being pulled up and that he could see himself in the boat below with his head down. It looked like he had fallen asleep fishing and that he went aboard the yeah. the ship then with the female entity from the 70s incident. And then he claims that he and his family had been visited since he was about five or six years old. Yeah, and I mean, I I won't deny that, but this is where, like, this is where I stay away from personal accounts on things because it just, it's a personal account. Yeah. I want to bring back basically the review of the event Mm -hmm. where you had two guys that witnessed this event. Yes. Were claimed to be participants of the event. You had the two go over to a police station mm-hmm. and put in their consistent report separately. Their accounts, yep. They're put into a room, recorded, unbeknownst to them. Yes. And they're discussing this event again. Yes. Basically reenacting it and what was going on. Like I said, I really, I'm going to post the YouTube link of the enhanced version 
which is still a little tough to hear, but they got the transcript. Yes. And I looked at it along with Calvin's book. It's right on. And they do the reliving of that event there. Yeah. And the police say, after listening to the tape, they're like, we believe these guys. Yes, they did. So there's there's two people that are convinced that it happened to them. Yes. They have a corroborative story. Yes. You have the police that actually agree with them. Yes. Then they go over to the Air Force base. Mm-hmm. And they believe them. They did. Yep. They come right out and say, we have no reason, no no large reasons not to believe these two people. And at this point, you have the others that come through. And that's where, like, you have the UFO groups come through. It's a bit of a bias there because they, they want to believe it. Well, as, yeah. As, as much as they want to be objective and... And yeah, not no, take a stance somewhere. I mean, just the it's in the name. They're a UFO research group. Yes. They're going to want to connect the dots on this. Mm-hmm. And them believing that is further proof. But you have these other groups before that mm-hmm. don't really have any kind of skin in the game. Right. Don't really have anything yep. with it. They take these separate paths. And then what's interesting about this is there are additional witnesses. Yes. So there's what's called the booth sighting. And this was that night. And a Pascagoula service station uh, proprietor and a World War II Air Corps veteran, he was heading to bed at 9 p.m., turning off all the lights. It was funny. In the book, it said he had been watching Kung Fu. Kung Fu. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. That's, I love the detail of the book. He's yeah. like, I was watching Kung Fu, and that's on at 8 o'clock, yeah. and it was over, so you well, know that's what it I'm was saying. 9. <laughs> In the book, it's the word-for-word statements, you know. And unfortunately, due to time, we can't get in that kind of a depth, but that's right. why we recommend the book. But he was heading to bed at nine and he was glancing out the front door of the window at the top of the door. Mm-hmm. I do this all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time when I'm turning the house out to go to bed. And he saw a big object. Yep. This is where my story differed. I didn't see anything, but he did. <laughs> and uh, he saw a big object five to eight feet above a telephone pole and above a street light. Yep. Just to give a frame of reference of where it's standing in the sky. The object was standing still with no movement at all. All the lights outside of it were turning in a clockwise motion. They were all red, but it had no wings or an offset, like no kind of outer shape. Right. He said it looked to be large, like a big helicopter Mm -hmm. with a propeller. Not like it had a propeller, but just like if you were to envision the size. This is just even size. It's not even much to be a, a shape of things. The main thing he could see were the lights all the way around it. Yes. A lot of them close together, and they would seem to be circling. They circled slower than basically like ambulance light turns, which, again, this is a timely thing back in the 70s. They didn't have the flashing lights then. They no. had the little roller lights. Yeah. That's why they called them rollers. You yeah. know, if a cop gave you the rollers. And he said it was about half the speed of what those ambulance light turns would be. As the object got further off, he saw about eight to 10 lights and then it eventually decreased to six. And then as it was further out, it had lights actually just like all around it. Yeah. And what he noticed most was that there was just a complete lack of sound. Yes. Just nothing. And this is a consistency with everyone. Mm -hmm. He was going to head back to call his wife, but then upon like moving to do it, it moved off in a real slow motion and it moved slow right over a pine tree. He got over to the edge of the door and watched it till it went out of sight. And as it got off and away more into the darkness, it seemed to him to be a dome shape. 
Yeah. Which goes back to the beginning of the story with, who, who was it? Hickson. Hickson. Said that there was a dome shape there. That's why uh, we were placing a, a note <laughs> to circle back to. Then there was another sighting. And this is the Evan sighting. And this was about an hour before the Hickson Parker event took place. Mm-hmm. Unidentified flying object UFO flew over a farm and a light silently and slowly floated overhead of the actual farm. The witness and the father watched it until it was almost out of sight. It shrank to a red dot and darted south like it was just shot out of a rifle. They mm-hmm. said just extremely fast. Yeah. And it was similar in color to like the... um the red light and a street light. Right. And for two to three weeks, it flew a similar route near the farm, but never as close as that first night. Correct. So now there's Mike uh, Cataldo, U.S. Navy retired. Again, the same night, October 11th, 1973. Mike and his fellow crewmates, Ted and Mac, were driving on a U.S. 90 uh, heading to Ocean Springs. And he was, uh, Mike was in the back seat. Yep. They saw a very strange object in the horizon going from northeast across Highway 90. Right. It was going pretty fast. It went down into a wood area into the marsh. It hovered over the tree line for maybe a minute. They actually pulled off the road and they watched it. Yeah. They claimed it looked like a large tambourine with little lights flashing on it. And as quickly as they saw it, it just vanished. Yes. And he said there were other cars on Highway 90. And yeah. if you remember. And they didn't pull over. They were, the two men, Kelvin and Charlie, were fishing near the Highway 90 toll bridge. Yeah, exactly. And a second sighting appeared minutes later, this time in St. Andrews near his home. Yes. And it wasn't as high up as they saw the first time. Right. They were convinced it was real. Yes. There wasn't any question with that. Yes. He reported the sightings at work. And he was a member of the pre-commissioning crew of the USS uh, Tunney under construction at Engels Shipyard, yep. where all this shit took place. And he immediately contacted his executive officer to make a statement. And after the weekend, he contacted Kessler uh, Air Force Base in Biloxi and left his phone number. His executive officer and crew members thought they were lunatics. And yeah. it just never came up again. Nope. And uh, the Kessler Air Force Base never called or did anything. So now there was another sighting. Yes. And this was four days prior to the sighting. And this was what they call the Pascagoula USO. And this is an unidentified submersible object. Yes. And basically what they saw was this object in the water. Yes. And disappeared. Yeah. It was uh, four to six feet underwater traveling at six knots. They kept saying that they were trying to touch it with their oars. Yeah. Anytime they got near it or they made contact, the lights would go out and it would move. Mm -hmm. So they called the Coast Guard. And when the Coast Guard appeared, you know, they were they gave the Coast Guard the account of their story. And the Coast Guard did the exact same thing, tried to poke it. Yeah. And they did make contact a couple times and then the lights would go out and it. So you have, moved off. you have a lot of these parties here that have similar type of stories. Yes. What's really incredible is 45 years later or so, for the first time, a witness came forward saying she saw the actual alien encounter. And it was, uh, her name's Maria Blair. Mm-hmm. And she was waiting with her husband, Jerry Blair, uh, waiting for him to leave on a boat to work offshore. Mm-hmm. And what she saw that night is something she finally came out for for the first time publicly in uh, 2019. 
While they were waiting in the car, Jerry went to sleep, and Maria saw what she described as a strange blue light streaking back and forth. Mm -hmm. She saw it rise up in the sky. The blue light was just right over where they were abducted. And at the time, she thought it was a plane or a helicopter. Mm -hmm. And the blue light continued moving without noticeable sound for about 30 minutes when it went out of sight. Now, this is the same amount of time that Hickson and Parker say they were out. Yes. It was about 30 minutes. Yep. So this matches. Uh, yeah. She heard a sound in the water similar to something falling in the water, a loud splash. The water was rippling. And when she looked down, that's when it looked like a person in the water. Hmm. Yeah. So it's weird how all of this corroborates, yeah. you know, the, the submersible sighting four days earlier and mm -hmm. these other sightings. And she didn't know what she saw in the water and she didn't think much of it until the next day when she heard about what Parker and Hickson had told the Jackson City Sheriff's Department. And then she's, you know, saying it, you know, now she's like, I was watching two men being abducted by a UFO. Yeah. And despite believing what she saw was a UFO, she never talked about it to anyone except her family. And her husband actually was the one who really wanted her to keep quiet. Right. And I kind of get that. Yeah. I really do. Because yep. especially when you read the book. The, the place went, that surrounded The place went guys, nuts. It did. It went insane. It went nuts. You know, it like did. I said, their own employer gave them a two weeks paid vacation. Yeah. Because they couldn't function as a business because the reporters were just relentless, yep. Yep. calling, yeah. showing up, talking to coworkers while they were working. Yeah. I mean, it was insane. And so I don't blame the husband one bit. I'm like, you know what? No. Yeah. We're not, we're not going there. And uh, it was a lot of media coverage and it was just bringing a bunch of negative attention at the end of the day. Yeah. And people don't understand that with the media that haven't seen anything like that, like a hot right. story yeah. like that. They're just swarming like crazy. It's the best intention. I know they want to get the story out to people. Right. Now I think it's a little bad because they are doing it literally for ratings. They don't care. No. But after seeing a recent media report about the abduction, she got the courage to come forward. And she said her motivation was to give Calvin and Charles just validation. Yes. It wasn't anything more. No. She always wanted to talk to him. Yes. And, uh, Parker's uh, story has been questioned and doubted for most of his life. Mm -hmm. And he said he lost all hope of a witness coming forward. And Blair brought that final sense of relief. There's yeah. actually a picture of the two of them hugging each other. His father-in-law actually told him he didn't believe him. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, you know, something that just, it doesn't go away. You no. know, it just sticks around like a bad yep. penny. And uh, th three people now have told their stories of the UFO on Pascagoula River, and mm -hmm. Calvin Parker's written a book about it, and and he doesn't think uh, these are going to be the last stories told of extraterrestrial life on Earth. I think what really interests me on this is it really makes you ask the questions surrounding abductions and missing time. Yes. Because missing time, like I said, I didn't want to give it too much credit at the time when we were talking about it where he was missing time. But yes. Like now that I see where we're at with time and everything, like we can get into this a little deeper. Well, like we can thank Robert Stack from yeah. Unsolved Mysteries <laughs> because he clearly stated, because he talked about the Barney and Betty Hill mm -hmm. abduction and he talked about, I think he may have even referenced Travis's. He never did this one. And he always 
like a common theme was this missing time. Yeah. And because of it, so I have my own theory story. Oh, okay. My mother and I were in the car. She was driving. I was a passenger. I was a teenager. I don't even remember where we were going. I just remember we were on Route 8 and we were, it was over Washington Mills. Mm-hmm. It was actually by where Piggy Pats is. Yeah. We are on Route 8 with a bunch of other cars, and there was an enormous object above us. Mm-hmm. Like, think Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Like, if the Millennium Falcon just was, like, breezing through town. Yeah. And there, it did have lights underneath. It was lit up. Like, it wasn't shaped like an airplane. It was roundish. Mm-hmm. And because of Robert Stack playing through my head, I was obsessed with the clock. Like, I was watching that clock for all that I was worth. Yeah. Because I was like, I'm not going to miss time. If we're going to miss time, I'm going to know it. We're going like, to know I'm, it, Like, yeah. I'm focused on this. Like, I know now. <laughs> I, I, I have a job. I have something that I have to do. Oh, my and God. And there was actually a story in, in the the local paper about something that was unidentified over, over. Yeah. over the road. So that was my first yeah. sighting, if you will. The second, again, I'm a teenager. I'm about 18. I'm in a car. Again, I'm the passenger. This time, it's a cloudy night. You can see it looks like two sets of lights. And they're weaving in and out of each other's flight paths. Yeah. And because of the clouds, it they were above the clouds. So you could see it was it's all dark in the sky except for these white like shafts of light. Yeah. And they're just zinging and pinging and they're going way faster than it was almost like someone was playing a video game. Mm-hmm. And my friend who was driving is freaking out. She asked me to call her parents. Now it's late at night, but I'm like, okay, fine. You want me to call your parents? I'll call your parents. So I did. And they were not amused. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't want to call you. Mm. I'm not doing this because I want to. I'm doing this because she asked me to, and I'm a good friend. So do with this what you will. She's supposed to be home. If she doesn't show up, be concerned. Yeah. Yeah. That type of thing. Um, So, I mean, (laughs) what does this all mean? I think you'd have to be a fool to think that we're the only thing here. There's just too much space. Yeah, it's it's a big space. I, I had a sighting when I was a little kid. It was funny. I was looking out the window, mm-hmm. and I remember my whole family was in the living room watching TV. There was something on. They were all watching. Thought it was Unsolved Mysteries. No, it was late at night. And basically, I'm staring at this thing out in the window, and I'm like, hey, hey, come on over here. And they're just like, no, you know. Yeah, whatever. And I should preface with, I had them go into the room for a lot less yeah. Exciting things. So, you know. Yeah. It's not like I was being totally abandoned. It was for my own good. But I remember looking out the window. To this day, I have a hard time remembering what it actually looked like. I remember seeing something. Yes. And it was something that I wasn't used to seeing. Mm-hmm. 
I was telling my parents, I'm like, there's something out there. There's something out there. They're like, yeah, Frankie, don't worry about it. You know. So I keep going out back to the window, and I watched it for a while. I want to say, you know, if it felt like 10 minutes, it was probably three or five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's usually how it kind of works. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, in the newspaper on the news, we're like, unidentified flying object flying over South Glens Falls. My parents are just like, I'm like, see, I told you. <laughs> Yeah. And then the other the other one was much more impressive. I was coming home from Topher's late at night, real late. Mm-hmm. Like it was one in the morning, something mm-hmm. like that, from his parents' house. And I was driving in the car and I'm driving down the road and I see off to the left this green light. And it would basically from my eyesight from where I was looking it was probably the size of a softball mm-hmm. in size. Yeah. And it would shrink and dissolve down into nothing mm-hmm. and then open up and do it again. And it was flying. I mean, I was going like 65, 70, and this thing passed me. Like you were going. Like like it was just itself. a stone yeah. getting tossed, yeah. you know. And it was just, it, it, it would open and dissolve, open and dissolve. It did that about five, six times. And then something hit the ground. It hit the ground and I could see like a light flash, like it, yeah, like an explosion, but it was just the light. And I'm sitting there like, what the hell was that? And I, and I, I knew it was far away. Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything I could drive to, mm-hmm. but it was something impressive. Next day, nothing, nothing on the news, nothing in the papers. I checked every week. It was yeah. like dialing in like right at six yep. o'clock news and talking to other people like, did you see that? Did you see that? No one. No one saw it. Yep. But it was late at night. Mm-hmm. So definitely, like, these these sightings are, are pretty intense. This sighting and this encounter, I'm just, I'm always forever amazed by. Yeah. The first time I heard it, I was amazed by it. Because just for me, I'm one of those ones, I need the corroboration. I need all that stuff. This has all of it. It's very complete. But like I said, it really makes you ask that question surrounding abductions and missing time. It They all kind of have it in common. Mm-hmm. And I mean, how many times have you just spaced out, you know, not to throw paranoia around. I don't know what you're around. talking about, man. Yeah, I mean, you know me. I mean, I, I'll I'll be out to lunch for 20 minutes, you know, yeah. and just, and not to install a paranoia, but I've you just wonder. I've sitting if, in the love seat next to you and you're talking to me. And yeah, then you all of a sudden. You just don't listen to me. That's, uh, yes, that's what yeah, it is. No, I know. But, blah, 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 <laughs> yeah, blah. I, I get blah, it. Blah, 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 blah. But it just. Yeah, really, there's there's something to be said with that. Yeah. I look at it, I wonder in my mind if the technology got better and we'll just never see them. And it will be that transparent where, like, you'll just space out for 10, 15 minutes. That's all it took. I don't know. You know, you wonder if it does get to so that type of thing. You know, you. because the... You, you wonder, I've always been fascinated by the idea that these limited abductions that have witnesses and sightings mm-hmm. are actually the screw-ups in a larger scale of, of abductions that are transparent and unknown. Right. Like, yeah. imagine thinking it from that perspective. Yeah. That these are just the screw-ups, where yeah. they screwed up, where they're like, no, we didn't. We didn't deploy the thing while we were landing, and yeah, you know, exactly. and it's just, it's like the rookie mistake. Yeah. It's like the rookies coming down and... 
like you Bebo's know. first day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're like, like, and that's why you don't do it that And then way. they have a class somewhere yep. in the intergalactic space where they're like, this is why you have to follow procedures going down. This you is know. why we have protocols and yeah. procedures. You know, and, and that's where, um, yeah, I, I wonder that. And then that was the problem. And this is, this is where it gets into power of suggestion. Mm-hmm. I was talking about this to you earlier yeah. before our karaoke dilemma. Yeah. But. But it, but it's true, and this is where you got to be very careful of the power of suggestion. Yeah. And I broke the demonologist cardinal rule last night of not shutting the door on this. Right. So basically, to explain to the listeners, I did my notes. I got everything done at about like one thirty in the morning. And I usually have a ritual when I go to bed, especially working on stuff with the shows, because we do some dark material that can kind of weird stuff, man. Well, it can sneak up on you in the weirdest ways. Yeah. Sometimes it's really, you know, benign and you don't think anything of it. And this was one of them. So I wrote the last note I had where basically, you know, what is this? If it's limited abductions of people screwing up and you just lose time and you know, how many times have you simply just lost time? I go to sleep after this idea and I proceed to dream all night about being abducted the entire night. It was just abduction after abduction after abduction repetitively. And well, this is, but this is what I, you know, I, yeah. I hit this hard on the show cause I do think it's relevant. People don't respect it enough. Right. The power of suggestion will yes. do this. I'm not saying I got abducted in my sleep and there's a whole bunch of other people that'd be like, Oh yeah, you did. And it's like, yeah. no, I just, I opened myself up to the idea of that. It makes sense. And it was I didn't, the last thing you were you were reading yeah, and, and I didn't or do any about. kind of routine yeah. with it. Usually at night I'll say uh, a, a long length of prayers. Right. Maybe I'll I'll even do a whole rosary, you know, and just right. like get myself out of that mind space. Right. And it's if a you get stuck, reset. yeah, and it's just it's just closing the door yep. and shutting that idea down before you go into the next motion. Right. And that's where I look at like the hypnosis is dangerous because like if you can't turn that off, mm-hmm. it'll self manifest into you mm-hmm. and you could be manifesting all these other ideas that just aren't even true. Right. They're not even real. Right. And that power of suggestion has to be respected in a ton of ways. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing with ghosts. I think that's the same way with hauntings. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same way with all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I think this story doesn't get the recognition it deserves because they were Southern Hicks from Mississippi. Definitely. Definitely. I think that's the tragedy yes. of this whole entire story. Yeah. And I especially mean, when you read, read both the their books yeah. and you read the transcripts and you read everything yeah. and you look again at like movies or stories that yeah. were made or, or specials yeah. on these type of topics and you're going to ask yourself, how the hell... Did I never know about this? Right. And I mean, let's, you know, try not to get age in it too much. You weren't alive in 1973. Neither were you. And neither was I. No. But here's the thing. We were alive for a large portion of that time. We were. From 1973 till now. We were. And I didn't hear about this story till about 10 years ago. I didn't hear about this story. And you didn't hear about it till I brought it up. Yes. Which is insane. It's insane to me. I know. And and like I said, you Google Pascagoula, Mississippi. Yeah. And that whole front page just talks about Pascagoula. It never brings this up at all. 
Yeah. And think about it, folks. How conditioned are we to the idea that two people could be abducted by an unidentified flying object and beings Mm -hmm. in said object? Yeah. And it's just, why wouldn't everybody know about this? Yeah. That blows my mind to the, you know, and this is where I think that, you know, everybody says that someday they're going to let everybody know. I don't think so. No. I don't think people can handle Dude, it because we here's the. not handle a pandemic. No. Now, how are we no. going to handle the fact yeah. that not only are we routinely <laughs> being visited, yeah. but. Yeah. No. We may always be here. No. And that's, and that's where, like I said, I. If they were to come out and be like, look, if the larger scale of abductions were transparent unknown and these were the screw ups, like mm-hmm. people just, yeah, the paranoia would pounce yeah. to a level. And that's where I think personally, we're just never going to know. No. Here's a, here's the million dollar question I have and I'm, I, we'll, I'll, we'll close on this. Mm-hmm. How come we know a ton about space? How come we have all these galaxies mapped out? But we don't know shit but about we don't our know the oceans? damn thing about the oceans. Now, Dude, they'll tell it you. it was in my notes. I was like, yeah. I don't think we're being visited. I think they're already here. Oh, I think they've been here. I've been I think fir- they've been here all along. And I think they come up from the ocean. Because a lot of those, like, um, the Air Force... Um, Thingamajigs? Tapes, like, when they... <laughs> when they turn on their camera and they record mm-hmm. their incidences, yeah. most of the time it's over water. Well, yeah, but here's the thing, and you got to put it in context. Mm-hmm. 90% of this ball is water. True. You know, so True. that's where where I'm getting at is, is if you talk to any of the, uh, the experts or you read anything about it, of why we don't know much about the ocean, you know what the answer is? It's hard. Yeah. I've literally read like the most decorated scientists in interviews and their answer is it's hard because of the pressure and all this other stuff. And I just, I don't know. It's hard to buy it. Yeah. I do get the pressure. I do get all that stuff, but, but what everybody's done for space and what we know about outward, isn't there pressure in space or vacuums or whatnot? We've, we've dealt with all of those. Yeah. I mean, but it just, I just find it amusing that we really don't know what is under a mile in the, in the ocean, like a mile past a mile. It's, you know, well, if you are a friend of mine on Facebook, you know what it is because I posted it's, it was that picture of what brushes against your feet when you're swimming Mm. in a lake and it was a sea monster. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Duh. So, my theory is this. Okay. I don't think they're there full time. I think that's just where they hang out. Like that's their bar? No, it's just where they can be where nobody else fucking see them. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me. There's, yeah. I mean, they, they could reside down there. It's possible because it's big. I mean, I think you got people that hang out in small towns and never move anywhere. I but, think the... But like with the evidence, like there's a base in, in the ocean and they hang out and it's like, they're the zookeepers and we're the zoo animals. Mm. So every now and again, when we get rambunctious or we do something, they're like, you know, let's poke them or prod them or. I, 
I don't give us enough credit to be neat zoo animals to keep around. I just don't give ourselves that much that credit. That much credit? No, no. But I think the one sighting on this that really kind of solidifies that for me even more is the one that saw it in the water. Yeah. You know, and brought the yeah. Coast Guard around and all of that. And then and there was... Doink, doink. Yeah. And then there was the woman that was at the actual site. Yeah. And said that, you know, she heard the ripple noises and all that in the water. We would have that whole means of escape routing up into the sky because that's what we would quote unquote do. Do, yeah. Nobody really invites the idea of the fact that water is an option. Yeah. They don't really think about that. I think it would be interesting to think... Now, my conspiracy tinfoil hat brain is that it would make sense that there would be, because everybody talks about aliens being transported in like a portal. Mm -hmm. It would make sense that that would be in water. Because if you were to harness electricity, Mm -hmm. you would do that in water. Yeah. Let alone salt water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Now, I'm no physicist and I'm not, you know, I'm not claiming that I have this amazing resource and knowledge to to prove something like right. that. It's just me talking out of my ass. But it just makes sense to me that they would be in the ocean. Yeah. And then my whole thing is why is there no interest in the ocean? It's hard, Like babe. on a deep level. And then again, that's where you get to the whole thing. Like it's hard. It's hard. I mean, honestly, if they use the it's hard excuse so, for space, they wouldn't go out there. Do you think that plane that went missing? What? Which one? The one... Um, Shoot. The one in South America there? The one that just completely the one that like was disappeared. supposed to be going to like Malaysia or something like that? Like the lost plane yeah. they were calling it? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think they just like... Who knows? Took the whole thing? That's the thing. It could what be like... They, the, they flew over the wrong section of the ocean and they went through a portal. It could be like the Langoliers from Stephen King. Yeah. You don't know. That's the whole thing is, you know, it's great fodder to talk about. Yep. But what's crazy about this is, is you know, this is just one abduction yeah. of five that are basically well known. Yeah. Well, not no ju- not well known, but just well documented. Yeah. Very yep. well corroborated. There's basically five of them mm-hmm. that I think the casual, and those are the five that I want to bring up on here. Right. Yep. I think those are the five that the casual person needs to know about. Yes. And the reason why I wanted to start off with this one is because I guarantee it would be a bold statement to say probably 90% of the people that are listening to this right now are hearing about it for the first time. Right. Or not maybe the first time, but they have heard about Charles Hickson. Right. And heard that he was with a guy in an abduction. Right. That's it. Yeah. Not the details, not the whole bit of it. Uh, If you do know, great on you. I'm glad. Because you need to know that this stuff is real. Right. And yes. we talk about a lot of things in theory here. Yeah. This podcast, we openly say, is 90% theory. Yes. But we love these where they're, you can kind of shoot the theory out the window as far as what happened. The why? Theory. Right. It's all theory. You're mm-hmm. never going to know why this happened. No. no idea why. No. And here's the other crazy part of it. It's right near an Air Force base. Yeah. You got an Air Force base that says, we don't deal with this stuff anymore. Yeah. Really? So it could be something from home. Could be. It really could. Yep. But you're never going to know. Nope. And that's where I firmly believe you're never going to know. 
No. Because I think the truth is too hard to swallow. And I'll go with my conspiracy brain. I think these last events, the last couple of years, are, I'm not going to say they're not real. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to yeah. say they're real and they're real things. But I do think there's a deeper a, a deeper agenda there to see what we can handle as a people and on a global yeah. level. I think that's these type of things. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, I do think that, and I, you're going to find me as one of the most anti-government people on the planet. Right. I don't trust government at all. Right. At all. I don't even want them sweeping the right. fucking road in front of my house. But the fact is, is they are protecting you from a lot of things. They are. That would scare the living shit out of you. Yes. And for that, I hate to say it, I have to be grateful to a certain right. extent. An organization idea that I can't stand. Right. But but the fact is, is I guarantee we are never going to know the real answer to this type of stuff. because. No. Especially based off the last couple of years, as you pointed yeah. out, I, people just can't even handle a virus. Yeah. Let alone handle the idea of there's a beings out there. A, a they're out there. B they can take you. Yeah. And perform tests on you. Anything after that, everyone's already ignored already because right. bees just freak the fuck out of them. Right. Yep. You know, and I just don't think people are going to be able. To they're going to have that. to come up with this, some real creative shit. That I just don't give humanity credit to do. No. To, so to, what do we got coming up next? Next, we're doing the Island of the Dolls. Isla de Muñecas. Yes. Now, here's one that I don't have a huge knowledge of. Ugh. So I'm excited about that. And I know about as much of Isla de Muñecas as I do about Robert the Doll. Because of, you're not, the, like, that's number two. So... Our, our rules are our tenets to live by. Yes, we one, should break into them. Yes, one. No Ouija boards. No. Two, no dolls. Nope. Three, no capes. No. Because it's just bad. It's just bad. It's bad in general. Watch Incredibles. Edna Moan said. Uh, four, no blood rituals. Five, no cults, satanic or otherwise. I'm talking to you, Scientology. <laughs> Number six, no apathy. Like you need to act. You need to help enact change in the world. Yep. Uh that's it. We 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 can't do this alone. It it rests in our hands. We have more power than we know. Yeah. And thank you so much for listening to us and checking us out. Yeah. We have noticed that there's some new folks and welcome aboard. Hey. You keep piling in every single week and we love seeing it. Uh we hope that we can keep this uh we hope we can keep you interested. Keep this interested for you because you definitely have a lot of options out there. And we're very, very thankful that we're one of them. Yes. We're very appreciative of that. And I hope you all know that because we feel blessed every day knowing that um, we've created this little uh, this little following for all the stuff that we talk about. Yes. And we are definitely, we're trying to come up with some very creative ways to not have ads and still get some revenue enough to just pay for the podcast. And there's also uh, some more types of mediums we're looking to pursue next year. Yep. What we would really appreciate is if you think you have a good idea for that, email us at our email, OTH at seriouslydecent.com. Yep. Because we don't try to claim that we know everything. 
No. And we love to talk to people that have cool ideas. So if you have a great idea for the show, as we always say in the beginning of the episode, email us. But uh, I'm also just doing a a shout out to someone who might have a really creative idea of doing monetization that's not. Basically, I want to say not Patreon because I don't want to nickel and dime you every month. No. I know you you need your money. Yeah. Um, But I also, uh, I don't want to do ads that you're going to just fast forward through. Right. In three sectional parts of the episode. Because I'm not a fan of ads myself. No. I have a few ideas and we're going to bounce them off you later in the year. We want you engaged. We yeah. want you to be a part of the show. We don't. This is your community. Not just a, a, a listener, but mm-hmm. be an actual part of the show. So if you do have an idea, we greatly appreciate your feedback at our email address, OTH at SeriouslyDecent.com. Or you can reach us through the Facebook group. Uh, which is you could link to us if you haven't already um, through OhTheHorrorPodcast.com, our website. We have our, our social media links Got a there. weird topic you think we should cover? Yeah. Give, let us know. That's you all you have to do is us. ask. You can drop a, an idea, a comment yep. in the Facebook group. If you are lucky enough to have our uh, contact information, you can go right to the right to the source. Yeah. No, and we, uh, we do and all we of have. them. No, no, we have, and we do them. We drop, I'll be honest, we get a good idea or or just a request with the exception of September and October because we have that blocked out for Halloween. Yes. But basically, uh, anytime after that, we'll put you right to the front of the list. Yep. Uh, In the the course of a normal year, the request we've gotten, we've literally dropped everything and just done that episode. Yes. Yep, we have. So, So we definitely want to create... And this is something we're going to work on a lot next year as well, is getting the listener more engaged with things. You're going to have the ability to easier select what type of episodes you'd like to hear and so on and so forth. So with all that said, thank you again for for listening to us. The ones that have been there through the beginning, we are so grateful. Absolutely grateful. Up to this point, word of mouth. So if you know somebody, spread us along. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, we hope you have a wonderful day. We hope you have a wonderful week. And as always, make good choices. Take care, folks.